Welcome to Mission Joy, a podcast from the Episcopal Diocese of Western North Carolina. Tune in and join the mission to share and spread joy. My name is Kelsey Davis, and I serve as the director of Blue Ridge Service Corps, and I am campus missioner at UNCA and Western Carolina University, so I spend a lot of good time with younger adults uh, in our communities. And it is my uh, joy and pleasure to welcome the Reverend Dr. Chelsea Yarborough to our podcast uh, today. Chelsea, tell us who you are. Yeah, so my name is Chelsea Brooke Yarborough. Um, I'm currently a visiting professor at Wake Forest University School of Divinity um, of Preaching and Worship, and I am also very excited to see the face of Kelsey Davis and to spend time nerding out about the Enneagram today. That's right. Um, Chelsea and I go back a few years. Um, We met at Vanderbilt Divinity School and have been colleagues and friends ever since, so it's it's a joy to get to chat with you about something we also share uh, in common, which is the Enneagram. Yes. Uh, So I'm curious to start us off this morning, Chelsea, how did you how did you find the Enneagram or how did it find you? Yeah, I feel like it found me and kind of like mollywopped me a little bit, but like in the most beautiful way, it kind of moved me into a new dimension of myself. I was in divinity school second year and a class was offered spirituality and the Enneagram. And I just love learning about myself. I kind of have an obsession with healing and wholeness and that's not new. And so I was like, oh my gosh, something I can learn more about myself sounds great. And so I remember sitting in the course um, under Chris Copeland, um, who is amazing and a phenomenal Enneagram practitioner, but he was talking about the Enneagram twos, the giver or the helper. And I physically wrapped my arms around myself, didn't realize it and was like, I am naked. Like, can everyone else see it? Do they, what is going on? And so I feel like in that moment, even though I was uncomfortable, there was something that was just like, this is something worth listening to. And maybe considering that uh, what helped you survive might not always be what is gonna help you flourish. And so that kind of became my question back and forth to myself. Mm, Okay, say that again for me, because I feel like that's something I need to hear. That last line about survival and flourishing. Say that again. Yeah, like what helps you survive won't often help you flourish. Mm. And I think to that edge, like we have to give ourselves compassion for the ways in which we survived with the best that we knew how. But the Enneagram is kind of an invitation to consider that there might be some other impulses and practices that move us towards a deeper healing. That's right. That's right. I've heard the Enneagram described as um, really that it's a tool that can help alleviate suffering and mm-hmm. also help us find belonging, mm-hmm. both with our, within ourselves, belonging to ourselves, yeah, our truest definitely. selves, and belonging in community with one another. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I'm curious. So this word Enneagram, um, you and I are, you know, we're, are, we're shaking our heads. We understand what this, this concept is. But what if, if folks are tuning in for the first time or maybe this is their hundredth time hearing about the Enneagram to you, what is the Enneagram? How would you describe it? Yeah. So I love the description you just gave. I, mine are normally very short. 
when people are like, what is the Enneagram? My first sentence is always, it's an invitation home. And it's a reminder that you are actually your home, mm. that you are the first place you were asked to steward. You were the first harvest you were invited to reap. Like you, that's you. And I think that um, kind of underlying that, I think the in, if anyone Googles the Enneagram, so if it's your first time, please Google it and look at the images. The images are always cyclical. And so I think it's important. So a circle. And so I think it's important that it is a circle because it's not like, look, I've taken every single personality test. So I'm like here for all of them. So I want to name, look, I'm here for all of them. But the difference for me in the Enneagram, it's, it's not an invitation to be separate. It's an invitation to be connected and to remind ourselves, like I lead instead of saying like, I am type two, I'll say I lead with type two because actually I am one through nine because I'm always a whole self and I always have access to all of the gifts and challenges of all nine numbers. But there's a part of me that was in, kind of indoctrinated and my impulse got real strong, kind of like an overworked muscle. So I'm real heavy on the helper. And so I think that it's an invitation back home into your deepest sense of wholeness through the continual practices. Like you never stop learning. Um, you can always learn a little bit more. And I think that's really the gift of the system um, I use it with individ individuals. I also use it with couples. I use it with groups. I use it with institutions. I'm like, look, <laughs> you let me know what you need. I got you. And so I think that's the real gift of the Enneagram is that it's always about an invitation home. Mm -hmm. I love that. An invitation home. And I loved what I heard too about the, uh, the, the truth that we are deeply interconnected and interwoven with one another. So I heard you say something along the lines of, you know, you're just, you're not leading with two out sort of in an ether by yourself, but you are connected to the circle of, of the other nine types. Um, and, and that there are gifts and resources of each sort of home-based structure, mm -hmm. um, as well as wounding and, and shadow. And so it's all held together. It's a holistic okay. tool. Yeah, absolutely. And something that I really appreciate about the Enneagram is that it, it it's helped me really, this sounds so so simplistic, but it's it's not. It's helped me understand that people see the world differently than I do. Oh, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Say yes. Absolutely. Yeah. What? Yeah. And that and that so it actually has become a tool of liberation for me in community because no longer do I need to coerce or convert some someone to my home base worldview. I can now say, right. okay, I'm more self-aware for how I process the world and I can start to empathize and understand how you process the world. Chelsea and I are in two different home base structures. I mm -hmm. I come out I come out of the three, the achiever performer structure. Um, but that there's there's nine, if not arguably like 127 different variations, right. um, which is something we can maybe get to later, but there's not just nine. Um, there's a lot of nuance in this as well. Um, but yeah, that the people see the world differently and process differently and have different concerns also. Yeah. Um, so it can really become a tool of awareness and, and actually deep empathy. 
Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. I think that the fact that the Enneagram starts at motivation instead of behavior really allows for that depth because um, when I said in that classroom, when I first discovered that I was an Enneagram two, several people were like, no, you're not. You're a three. Like, have you met yourself? And I was just like, actually, I have met myself, the self that I haven't let you meet, beloved. And so really it's so critical that people type themselves or because even when, you know, doing typing interviews, it's all about someone coming to their own conclusion because only, you know, your motivation, you know, your why, you know, what drives you. Um, and that is what the Enneagram is rooted in. And so I think sometimes when folks listen to podcasts or getting the Enneagram, they're like, I want to type my whole life. <laughs> and I invite you to consider that, invite people into their own process of discernment for which number they are. And it can really be a rich conversation, but it's important that we type ourselves. Mm, mm, I love that. It's important that we type ourselves. Um, mm -hmm. That's that's wise stewardship of this tool that we, it's not our job to go around typing other people. Um so I like that. And that's that. a of liberation as well. Mm -hmm. The agency to type oneself and the consent to name that I am this, as mm -hmm. opposed to be named that you are this. Mm -hmm. I love that. Amen to that. So speaking of types, um, will you share with us um, what are the nine types? Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to speed date the Enneagram real fast. Right. <laughs> that's what we're going to call it. Uh, and so definitely this is like a touch and this is kind of the caricature. All of them are nuanced, et cetera. Um, so there are nine types and I'm gonna move through kind of the centers. And so there are three different centers, nine types. There's a heart center, a head center and a body center. So the heart center starts at type two. So every time I started type two, people are like, it's cause you're type two. I promise it's not, it's just where the heart center starts. And so type two is the giver and I'm gonna talk about like just the vice and kind of the virtue, which is the vice, every number has a vice and every number has a virtue that really once they get to it, they are the expert in because it's hardest for them to get there. So the two is the giver and it's kind of the attention goes to other people's needs, like needing to be needed. So the vice of the two is pride, but the virtue is humility. And so when twos can really lean into like, oh, I too have needs, oh, say less, wow. Um, then it becomes more of a equitable structure of giving and receiving instead of feeling like your worth is rooted in your giving. Um, the, so this is the heart center and the heart center is geared towards connection. So our threes are performers, which the vice is envy. I mean, excuse me, the vice is deception. And it's really about, can I move beyond the image can I move beyond how I, how other people see me and even how I want to see myself and really lean into this virtue of honesty. And it's not that threes are running around being liars because that's always like, it's like, oh my gosh, do they all lie to me? No, threes are very concerned about their image because worth has been rooted in achievement in image. And so unlearning that becomes a process of honesty that again, it's the both and that you can be connected in all of your flaws in all of your glory at the same time. And then our type fours, the romantic, I love before I even say it with so much love, uh, the type fours, the romantic, um, their vice is envy because there's a deep sense of longing in their bodies. Like, am I missing something? Like, oh my gosh, like this world is so lush and like I'm here and I know I'm unique, but also like there's more, there's, there's kind of this insatiable like desire really of like, am I missing something? And so 
The invitation for fours is equanimity, kind of like the tides, let it come in and come out. You are enough and you are in the kind of vastness of all that is such that yes, you are unique and so is the world around you. And so it allows for that longing to kind of be mitigated by contentment through this equanimity. So that's our heart centers, our feelings people. Um, we all have feelings, let's be clear, but like that's where kind of the wisdom comes is through the heart center. And the underlying kind of feeling in the heart center is shame. And so if I'm not connected, if I'm not, you know, living in this, the per idea of what I've decided is worth, shame can be what comes up. So then we move to our head center where the underlying is fear and the goal is safety. And so our fives, which is the observers, their vice is stinginess. And so what do I mean by that? Fives, they're, they're people that know all the things. They are experts, okay? <laughs> like they know one thing, they know everything about that thing. And so the really it's about being competent because there's a fear of like, what if I'm not competent? What if I don't have, have all the things that I need? Will I be okay? Um, and so the invitation for fives is non-attachment which is hard, Whew. but when they get it, they're the best teachers of it. And so non-attachment really in that, like there's a flow to this. I have it or I don't. I And a lot of times, you know, fives know the pain of feeling not competent or like not having it. And so that non-attachment as a practice is hard. So that's our fives. Our sixes, um, which is the loyal skeptic, AKA the best friend you'll ever have. That's what I always say. <laughs> if you have to rename them, that's what I would rename the sixes. Their vice is fear and the goal is safety. And so sixes kind of can live in kind of a constant what if. What if this happens? What if this happens? What if this happens? What if this friend walks away? So they can be hyper suspicious. And so the reason I say that they're the best friends you ever have is because in the event they decide to actually be your friend, they're not going to wear because they're incredibly loyal once they've decided to be loyal. And so their invitation is courage to consider that being scared is not the whole story and that perhaps they might do it even scared. Then our sevens, our ventures, um, where the vice is gluttony. Sevens are pleasure seekers. They want all the pleasure, all the goodness, all the lushness of life as an avoidance to pain, which we know in life, you know, you can't avoid all pain, but sevens really work hard at it. So a lot of times they're the life of the party, they're lit, they're the friends you want to hang out with, but also like maybe is not telling you all the things going on in their life because they might also be avoiding it if they're not in a well place, right? And so their invitation is constancy. It's like, yes, be lit, have fun, turn up. And also, if you need to turn down, you good too. And we're here for you. So that's our seven. So that's our head center. Now we move into the body center. Um, folks that often are like, oh, it's, you know, it's a gut reaction, it's a gut instinct. They're our body center folks. And the underlying emotion there is anger. Um, and so our eights is where we'll start. Eights are um, the protector. And the vice of eights, I always have to nuance this, the vice of eights is lust. Now people are automatically like, oh, okay, <laughs> okay, eights. Um, but what we're saying about lust is really a desire to have something now. There's an immediacy, there's an energy towards. They're like, oh my gosh, I need it now. And so eights, often have a lot of energy and a lot of movement towards that can overwhelm people in their lives if they don't realize that's how they're connecting, is this energy, this protection, this refusal to kind of embrace vulnerability. A lot of eights, vulnerability was not a luxury for them. And so uh, 
it's hard. And so their invitation is innocence to breathe into the day, to feel delighted, to put down the fists and see what might happen, see what you're missing when fists are in front of your face, right? And so it's that innocence that is their invitation. Then our nines are um, our mediators, our peacemakers, and their kind of uh, vice is slothfulness. Again, I'm not calling nines lazy because people always come for me when I say this, but it's not. Nines are not lazy, but they can numb out because they're, they have a deep-seated fear of not um, being in the flow of things, being connected, being apart. And so for nines, they will often merge in, um, in jobs, they will merge in communities, they will merge in friendships for the purposes of keeping the peace. The gift is that they can really see all sides of any situation because they're, again, merging along the way. And so avert the virtue of the nines is right action because they can see all these perspectives when they make a choice and they can like kind of move that energy in a way that like, okay, this is where I'm going. It is so profound and so powerful because you know, it takes a lot of energy for them to do that. Um, so those are our nines, our peacemakers. And finally we head to the ones, um, the perfectionists, or as ones more so like to be called the reformers. I hear you out there ones say less. And so the vice of the one is anger, which is surprising because the, a lot of them are like, no, I'm not angry because it's not right to be angry. It's okay. This is Enneagram space here. It's safe. Anger is indeed the vice of the ones. And a lot of it is rooted in um, things are not right. Things are not okay. Things are not perfect. And so there's a question that is often deep seated inside of ones that's like, am I defective in like, how do I make, how to almost like kind of work, I'm working out of a credit system. Like how do I make up for my defect? And so the invitation for ones is serenity to realize like you are actually all the things, you are all the goodness you are seeking and to rest in that. And so um, that was our speed dating, but all of the numbers have a gift. All of the numbers teach us something. All of the numbers have some real shadows and some things to come over, but it's such an opportunity to be curious about the complexities and the multifacetedness of humanity um, by learning from the numbers and listening to people who live in that type structure, um, especially those that are kind of moving towards more healing spaces. Wow, thank you, Chelsea. Thank you, um, thank you for listening. <laughs> I love I love this, this, this speed dating. Um, and I love also the uh, invitation, what I hear in it is an invitation towards integration. Mm, yes. So we can hold both gift and shadow together. Mm -hmm. um, we don't have to repress any of it. And, um, and so, so I'm curious um, really about two things. My brain's going go two different directions right now. One, one direction is uh, what is integration for work with the Enneagram? Um, I'm thinking spiritually, psychologically, somatically, like you just named uh, a head center, a heart center, and a body center. So what does that look like as a system? to becoming more whole and flourishing. So what is integration? And the other piece is, I'm imagining folks that are listening to this, um, possibly for the first time finding, and maybe you just said something that sparked in them, like, oh my goodness, I feel seen right now. That's, mm. That resonates. What would you say to those folks um, who maybe are, it's sparking for the first time? So integration and uh, sparks. Yeah. 
Yes. Can I start at the Sparks? Please. So I would say to the folks that are sparking for the first time or the second time or the 500th time, that let that spark go, let it go, let it breathe, let it flourish, because um, there's something in you saying, like, there's something here for me. And like, what a gift in the world where we lean on so much scarcity to receive that abundance that is for you. Um, so what I would say is to pick up some resources. I, if you, if um, you're looking more for like free resources, there's plenty out there. If you want to read, I would look at um, the Enneagram Institute as a website. If you want to connect more deeply, the Narrative Enneagram has a lot of pretty affordable workshops. Like if you just want to kind of like a one hit workshop, you can lean into that direction. Um, some books, you know, I'm always going to, the scholar in me is going to be booky. And so The Heart of the Enneagram, um, written by Christopher Copeland and Sandra Smith, is amazing because it's a companion. And so it's kind of like an Enneagram journal where like you think through these numbers and you kind of roll through the insights. And so I would pick that up if you're looking for some like kind of engagement that is kind of self-directed. If you want to really nerd out about the Enneagram, but like you also want to laugh, hit up the Millenniagram by Hannah Posh. It's hilarious. If profanity is not your thing, don't pick that up. Okay, beloveds. But if it is, as it is for me, I would pick up the millenniagram. And then another kind of fun one, they have bingos in this for each of the types. And so if you're like, ah, a couple of the types hit me, pick up the Honest Enneagram by Sarah Jane Case. And just go ahead and look at those bingo boards. And one of them is going to what I say, read you for filth. It's it's okay. It read us all. <laughs> and you're gonna be like, oh, that is real. That's really me. Cause I filled out every single box. And so more than anything, if you have a spark that's coming up, give yourself permission to explore. Cause there's some, there is something there. I'm not even gonna say there might be. I don't, there is, I know there is because it is inevitable <laughs> with this, this processing system. And then um, as far as integration, I wanted to start with the sparks because I think a part of integration is the curiosity of how does this move through these different places in my body. And so on one end, like some feelings are probably being kicked up. Yeah. And ask yourself, is it shame? Is it fear? Is it anger? Am I feeling heat? <laughs> am I withdrawing? Where, where am I feeling this? And so really being curious about your own experience. Um, I'm someone who really thinks that body awareness is critical um, as someone who was not body aware for a very long time. And so I think the gift of the Enneagram and um, the narrative Enneagram, in my opinion, does a really great job at this, is like actually engaging in practices that move information through you. And so if um, meditation practices, if you Google meditation on Enneagram, name number, you'll probably get some. And so allowing yourself to be a full experience where your feelings can show up, they can move through your body, but also you can rationalize. Um, where did this come from? For me, I always ask, when did I first learn to, when did I first learn that to be needed was to be loved? Mm. Mm. And mm. guess where I learned that? It was an element, I can literally, now at this point in my life, I can pinpoint when I start to kind of like realize, oh, if I'm helpful, I get all the praise. Wait a minute. If I'm helpful and great, we haven't gotten into wings yet, but like if I'm helpful and great, if I'm great at being helpful, I'm out here. Everyone will love me forever. And so having to learn that to be loved is simply to be loved for my breath, mm. to be loved for my existence 
is a constant learning process mm-hmm. um, and choosing to believe people when they say that instead of being like, nah, you love me for my resume. It's like, nah, sis, I just love you because you you here. And it's like, wow, it, that still is shocking to me every time I realize someone loves me so beautifully and so purely. Mm-hmm. That's That's profound stuff. And as you're sharing, you know, I'm thinking of uh, out of my type structure as a, th- as a three, um, you know, when, when did I get confused about, uh, th- that I have the, this, this illusion that uh, I, I confused admiration for adoration. So mm. if, if I were to be admired and achieve, therefore I would be loved. So I'm mm-hmm. the one who, I'm the friend who's putting my resume in front of you to say, look, and you're like, I don't need that resume. I just need you to show up, yeah, um, authentically as you are. Um, but that is a that's a novel concept for me that I have to work on all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have a little yield sign in my office now um, because I've been doing some work with an Enneagram coach, and and he gently helped me realize that scheduling eight meetings back to back in one day is not sustainable. Um, even though I love the work and to just create more margins in my day, yeah. um, to just breathe and to be and to to not become my work. Um, mm-hmm. That's part of my spiritual practice. I um, love that. So, so I'm curious, you mentioned the word wings. Um, what What is a wing, Chelsea? Yeah. So there's a couple of like little, if you're going to investigate the Enneagram, I want, you know, you to have at least an idea of what some of these things might be talking about. So there's a couple of little ways that the numbers are become more nuanced. And so what we kind of speed it through is your central number, which would be kind of what you lead with. So I lead with type two. So I'm going to use type two because it's me and it's easy to talk about. Um, you also have wings. And so your wings kind of inform how you enter and how you live out your central number. And so the wings are what we might assume wings are on either side of you. So for example, again, remember this is a circle. So if I'm a type two, the sides of me are two and four, or mm, are, are one and three. Oh my gosh, the struggle. Um, so if I'm a type two, the sides of me are one and three. And so I can either have a perfectionist wing or I can have a um, performer wing. I have a performer wing. <laughs> it is a huge wing. It is a pterodactyl wing. Um, some people have, will say that they have both wings and so they can see themselves moving back and forth and then others, you know, one or the other. I am, every once in a while I can tap in, I see myself tapping into my oneness, but most of the time I'm living in that two wing three. Um, and so what does that mean for me as a two? It means that a lot of times it's not just enough for me to be helpful, I also need to be great. <laughs> and I also need to be amazing. And I also am constantly looking at how um, how to morph myself into whatever is needed into spaces. And so again, a part of my work is not just honesty. I mean, it's not just, um, it's not just humility, but also honesty. And so it's a both end. So those are your wings. You also have a number of growth and a number of when you're struggling more. Some people call it a number of integration, a number of disintegration. You can call it whatever you want. Um, So in growth, twos move to the four. 
So we become the romantic. So it's like, oh my gosh, I do have needs. And like, I can be lush and creative. And I was in a workshop this weekend and I realized that when I'm a four is usually when I'm doing art, when I'm writing poetry. And it's the only time I usually give to myself first. Like I receive my art before anyone else does. And so I was like, oh, oh that's when I'm in my fourness. And so I'm always thinking about how can I tap more deeply into that space? And then in, sh- in more struggled seasons, twos move to eight. And so I feel all the anger in my body and it's a lot on me because I don't often feel it, but ask about me in these streets. People have seen that eight way, that eight come out for sure. And so each number has that. And it's really helpful to get to know those numbers because when you see yourself moving in particular ways, you're like, oh, okay. All right. That's helpful. So there are the wings. There are your numbers of integration and disintegration. And then there are also subtypes. So there are three subtypes. There's the self-preservation subtype, the social subtype, and the one-to-one subtype. I am not shocking to anyone that knows me, the social subtype. Um, But each of the three numbers has all three of the, I mean, each of the nine numbers has all three of the subtypes. And those, depending on your subtype, can look radically different. A social subtype, too, looks radically different than a self-pres, too, a lot of the time. And so... The subtypes sometimes across numbers actually can like vibe off each other's behavior because it's like, oh, you feel me? Like, I'm just trying to, you know, create institutions. <laughs> and so um, it might feel like a whole lot of information, perhaps, especially if you're new. And so my invitation would be really just focus on your number. For the if, if you like are kind of exploring, if you kind of land on one that's like, oh, this is me. Just focus on yours for a second. See what your number is, see what your wings are. Because then when you start to hear about other numbers, it'll flow more easily in and out of your brain. But those are kind of the ways in which, to Kelsey's point earlier about how many types there can really be, that all of these things become so nuanced because I'm a two wing three with a social subtype. Like, okay, (laughs) that's one specific now type that we've honed in on. And so Mm -hmm. again, there's always more to explore. I've been doing this for a long time now. And I just came off a weekend of training and I'm like, I know so much more about myself. So that's so great. Mm, I love that. There's, you know, what I hear in that is uh, an invitation into deepening and to expanding self-awareness and other awareness as well. So we can do our, our homework on our own selves from our, from our home base. And, you know, I, I think it's important for us to have some understanding of, of the other structures as well so that when we're interacting with people, obviously take everyone in context and as they come, and it might give us a little bit of an outline from which to start um, to build a little bit more empathy. Um, as, as we said earlier, as I said earlier, um, not everyone sees the world the way that I do. It's like mm-hmm. mind blown, you know. That's yeah. Um, so, so I'm curious, um, you know, what 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 does the enneagram um, have to do with, you know, with spirituality, um, with transformation, with connecting to something more or deeper in oneself? Um, so, yeah, what what does it have to do with spirituality? Yeah, I mean. Everything has to do with spirituality for me, but specifically the Enneagram, I think that, so each of the numbers has kind of a holy idea that they lost sight of. And so I think that that is a really cool place for people to begin, particularly if spirituality is important to you. Um, Cause it's really like, oh wow, like I might have lost sight of that. 
And I also think that God language is the language I use, but however, spirit, universe, um, themselves, nature, community, however people attach to something larger themselves can certainly be taken out of what I'm about to say. But for me, like God's intention for us was wholeness. Like God's intention for us was unconditional love and flourishing. And um, although I think some of the doctrines of a myriad of more institutionalized religions invite us into kind of more fragmentation than that. I think that like, that's, that's their business, but the actual invitation is wholeness and the Enneagram becomes a practice of believing one can move towards that and not wholeness as a destination, but wholeness as a practice of believing you are actually already whole and healing is unveiling that wholeness that is already present. So it's not like, oh, I'm showing up broken and like janky and now I have to like go recover my pieces. It's like, no, I've been given a distorted mirror. And so now I'm being offered some glue, some new frames, some clear, you know, some good Windex <laughs> to clear off this mirror so that I might see myself as the, I mean, we are literally dust animated with God's breath. Like that is dope. Are you kidding me? Like, can nobody tell me I'm not dope after I realized that? Are you, <laughs> what? Get out of here. And so when we come into our when we come into our learning through that lens, then the invitation for our spirit is to enliven it, to awaken it to itself and to um, believe to believe in our practices enough, to believe in our introspection enough, to believe in our engagement enough that like, where we have been that may not have been serving us doesn't have to be where we reside. And I think like that is a spiritual practice into itself. And also listening to other people is a spiritual practice. So the Enneagram, at least in my position, requires a type of like listening. And so someone, you're talking to someone else about their number, use your, listen, you know, I was gonna, like use your ears or whatever, however you're listening, whether it's reading, whatever, and really be curious because the more that we realize that we are these complicated stories. When I really look at my life and how I became who I am, I'm like, oh, wow, that's a miracle. Don't understand. Um, not because it was so bad, because there's so many random things that had to occur for me to end up this human. And once we, once I realized, that, I was like, dang, if everyone is out here like that, the best thing I can do is be curious. The best thing that I can do is listen. The best thing I can do is believe that God also created them in this unconditional love. And if I approach it as best I can with that compassion, I might learn something. And that doesn't mean I have to be their friend. It doesn't mean I have to like, you know, hug them. Like, none of that has to happen. But it does mean that I can let them go in belovedness. Mm. And that, that energy of fear and hatred that is rampant in our world right now doesn't have to live in my body. So. Mm. 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 What I hear in that, I mean, that is that is good, Chelsea. Um, yes, and what I I'm, I'm thinking, I'm like, what if, what if curiosity and compassion and listening, what if those are the seeds of justice making? What if those are the seeds of liberation? If we get curious yeah. about each other, curious about ourselves, if we do it with compassion, and and deep deep listening. What if those are what if those are the seeds that that help us move towards um, a kingdom that some may say, you know, Jesus was after um, yeah. and and calls us into. And so I, I'm curious I'm curious how you see 
the Enneagram intersecting with justice making, with liberation, with sort of beloved community, belovedness. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that for me, this is actually the area where I see myself um, moving more deeply into as an Enneagram coach and as an Enneagram um, kind of um, practitioner and teacher is that it's so critical that when we see these numbers that we don't see them as flat and away from the other intersections that people bring to the table. And I think that is one thing that's not in the resources right now. And don't worry, friends, it's coming. Um, but, and so I say that to name is that I think at where we start is like at the person. And, but institutionally and like wider, when I'm thinking about movements, when I'm thinking about the inequitable realities of our existence right now, I think that so much of when people are like, oh, why, you know, why are those folks doing that or why why does it have to be so loud or whatever like first of all what happens when people haven't been listened to across centuries what happens when someone's needs and someone's realities are not attended to what happens when we ask people to be labor and not life well then all of this all of these kind of triggers that we're talking about these prizes this deceptions and are like boom 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 like they're highlighted because when you're in survival mode, it is very hard to think about healing. And so for me, a part of the practice of the Enneagram is giving space for people to be human um, in a world that like really highlights, like let's make uh, inhumanity and inhumane practices like the norm and being human and being seen in the fullness of how you should be cared for is a luxury that you earn. Like, help me understand that. Help me understand how health insurance is not for everyone. But anyway, that's a side note. And so for me, where the Enneagram comes into play there for as my own practice is that if I can train people, including myself, if we can train together to um, consider the ramifications, the real lived ramifications of what it means to have groups of individuals not be heard in a society. And by heard, I don't mean just listen to orally. I mean that heard and responded to such that all of us can even have our basic level of existence uplifted, then it continues to put a, uh, a chasm between those that have the luxury of sitting and proliferating about their kind of enlightenment and those that literally are looking for food on their table. And so I, again, I think that the Enneagram is a practice of listening and invitation and, and believing that you can actually be more well. And so um, I was working with a, uh, this weekend I was working with just a group of amazing people that were all sharing the stories from the depths of their existence. So we're, it's a narrative Enneagram. So we're all sharing our stories on these panels. And my takeaway, and I said this to the group was like, damn, if the world looked like this, where we actually sat and said, well, why do you do what you do? And actually wanted to know real change could happen. And like our leadership doesn't even do that. No one does that because it's inconvenient. It's inconvenient to be wrong. It's inconvenient to be compassionate. It's inconvenient. And so I can talk about this for like a whole lifetime, but I'll pause there and just be like, I think that um, compassion is often seen so cute and so like, lighthearted and so easy and love seems so like flowers and shun sunshine like nah like love is sometimes tearing statues down like love is some and so again it's a practice of listening why am I doing what I'm doing because justice 
is a part of wholeness, is a part of love, is a part of compassion. It is it, if you will. Um, and if that's not, if we're not really willing to, to engage the lived realities of individuals um, in our own growth to enlightenment, then like we aren't actually being enlightened because God's not up in that. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen to that. It's whoa. So it sounds like, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it would sound like the Enneagram is, it's ministry for you, Chelsea. I mean, mm, you are, yeah, it, it's, it's about what I heard. It's about justice and healing and um, transformation, ultimately, mm-hmm. both of uh, the individual, but of, the, of communities and of, of societies as a whole as well. Because uh, when we are allow ourselves to be inconvenienced by slowing mm-hmm. down enough to say, why do you do what you do? Or why are you responding in this way? Or God forbid, what do you actually need? Mm. Yeah. Um, that's ministry. Um, so I- I'm curious if, if there's anything that sparks for you in considering the Enneagram as, as a tool for ministry for you. Yeah, I mean, I think everything that you just said, it is a tool for ministry. To me, ministry is simply um, the practice of being a part of God's story in intentional ways. And so I try to live my life as ministry. And sometimes it looks like preaching. Sometimes it looks like being a professor. But oftentimes it looks like being available for spirit to um, to move and animate in me in ways that are pragmatic. And so, yeah, definitely. Mm, that's, that's wonderful. Um, you know, and... I'm I'm curious if if you'd be willing to share um, just maybe one way that that you've been transformed. You know, what's how has Enneagram ministered to you um, as you use it as a tool? Let me count the ways. So, <laughs> um, so how do I want to start this? Okay, so I'm a type two, and when I realized that. I know exactly, I know the sentence that literally had me out here like, oh my gosh, can everyone see my, my undergarments? I'm so out here, so exposed. But was that uh, twos aim to be indispensable everywhere they are. And I was like, uh, does everyone not aim to be indispensable? Is that not the ultimate goal of life? <laughs> and so, um, when I heard that, I kind of, it was almost like a movie, like started to see all the ways in which like in my friendships, I'm like, no, I, you know, I got the money. Like I've gone into debt for other people. So they wouldn't go into debt. What? That's first of all, sis, that's foolish. And secondly, like, but it felt so good at the time. Like, oh my gosh, you don't have your rent. I'll say less. I, I do. No, Chelsea, no, you don't. <laughs> You're a lifelong student. You really don't. Um, or oh, you need, you need to talk to me right now? Okay, like, because obviously I'm the only person who could possibly talk to you about the thing, even though I'm in the middle of something critical for my life, et cetera. So I was, I kind of was just like hit with this reality that like so much of my motivation was connection and wanting to feel like I belonged. And so I realized that like, I've been doing that my whole life is crafting like as many people, as many friendships as possible, just in case one dropped off, which is devastating. Like, oh my gosh, like for a two to lose a friend is like a, at least a year of grief. <laughs> like it's just a lot on us. But um, so I say that to say that when I started to really engage in this healing work, one of the things that, one of the practices that I did is ask myself where, and I had to be honest, radically honest, painfully honest, 
alongside a therapist, shout out to therapy, because I believe, <laughs> okay. But I actually made my therapist learn the Enneagram so that she could properly <laughs> counsel me. I was like, oh, you don't know the Enneagram? Let me, I'll come back in a few weeks when you uh, have studied to show yourself approved. <laughs> um, but she did and it's been great. But uh, I um, was really like, which of my relationships prioritize reciprocity? And baby, when I say that list got started to trim, it didn't get small to most people's ideas of small, <laughs> but it got small for my idea of what I was supposed to have. And what I realized was that so many people were around because I was everything. I could be everything. And what's interesting about the type two type is that it is a particularly in Christian spaces and particularly as a woman and specifically as a black woman, it's assumed, of course, you'll be everything we need. Of course, you are labor. Of course, you'll do whatever. And so my really big turning point was realizing that no is a complete sentence. There's a poem by Nair Waid that I love that says, no might make them angry, but it will make you free. If no one's ever told you, your freedom is more important than their anger. And I keep that close because like, I'd be forgetting. But um, it, it really changed my existence. Because then I started to ask myself, well, what do you want? Do you even want to do that? Do you even want to go there? Do you even want to take that position? Just because someone told you you're good at it, like, says you don't have to take that, you don't have to do that. <laughs> like, you don't have to be everything. And I found myself actually engaging in things I loved and wanted and being in friendships that I didn't have to question or overperform in or um, feel like, oh my gosh, if I don't have it, they'll just walk away. And so for me, the Enneagram gave me a type of peace in my body that I didn't know I could experience. And then this global pandemic where like, like <laughs> really can't be what people need, which is, which is a vaccine. Like, now if I thought I had antibodies in my arm and I could, yeah, you know, I would I be out here giving blood and passing out every day, <laughs> like, just take it. But I really can't be in that way. But what I'm learning is that by giving myself what I need, by remembering I have needs and not being so prideful to think that like I'm above needs, like I just can be whatever. I actually am living from a much fuller cup and I'm seeing the people around me benefit in a way that doesn't take from me. And so it's this weird balance of realizing like you were always the solution. You didn't have to perform that, you didn't have to. And when you have limitations, welcome to being human. And so that is a long-winded way of me really saying that like the Enneagram um, I think saved me from a life of working for my worthiness. And now I can just rest in it and live out of a full cup. And I also am very aware of when I'm, I'm when I'm kind of like loving to be needed. I can feel it. And sometimes I still do it because you know, we're not perfect beings, but I can feel it. And I'm just like, oh, pay attention. That's someone who you feel like you have to earn their love. Why? It could be me. It might be the way they're acting as well. And so um, it's put me back to my breath. And so I, I say this often, I say, I pay attention to people, places, opportunities, et cetera, that make me exhale and other places that make me constrict my breath. I can feel it in my breath. And if someone's making, if someone, they're my contact with them, my breath is constricted, that might not be someone I need to be around all the time. And that's okay. There's like 7 billion people in the world. So <laughs> let them go in belovedness and invite other people into your space. And so I, that is my story with the Enneagram. It's quite literally, it changed my life. Um, and still does as I engage in it more. 
And that's why I practice it because I believe that everyone deserves to feel the peace that they were gifted um, in their inception that often gets snatched pretty early. Hmm. Hmm. The peace that we were gifted, that gets snatched early. Um, I hear that and I feel that. I, thank you for sharing what you just shared, um, and also uh, what I what I heard in it too. That's so powerful. You, uh, it was the return to your breath. Mm. Um, I'm just I'm just curious if if you can share a little bit more about breath work and um, what what that means what that means to you also theologically. Yeah. Um, I've been thinking a lot about breath this year, um, or I guess last year during this, you know, situation that we are in, because we've been in this age of a respiratory virus that quite literally snatches breath. Um, We are in a um, global fight for anti-racist policy and practice in an I can't breathe campaign. We are, anxiety is at an all time high and anxiety constricts the breath before it does anything else. And so I've been thinking about the kind of prophetic space of taking deep breaths and declaring it as sacred. And I, I really believe that we are, you know, the beautiful gift of the earth animated with the breath of God. And so literally for me returning to my breath is a reminder, one that I'm connected to something much larger than myself and also that like within me is the capacity to calm myself down. That doesn't mean, you know, if you need additional resources for mental health, that is something wrong. Absolutely not. Again, I'm in therapy all the time, but that in a moment that my breath quite like changes, can change the situation. And so I think breath work, again, not to be overly dramatic, but it's the truth, like is also a part of my own daily kind of like saving in that when I'm getting overwhelmed or when I'm feeling outside of myself or when I'm in a place that I, you know, something ain't right or somebody ain't right. Cause I be, I'm, I feel all the things. And so I'm like, oh, the vibes here ain't flourishing. Like I can always return to my breath. And so the, I think maybe the, mm, there it is. I think our breath, if, if the Enneagram and this practice is an invitation home, then our breath is the threshold. It's the door. Is how we get in there. And so it's like, even if the only thing you can do is take a deep breath in, hold it for a second and release it, like you are claiming space in a world that like needs your most flourishing self. And so um, I think that's what I think about breath work. It's, the, it's a sacred practice of being. Mm. Sacred practice of being, it's really good. It's really good stuff. Um, you're awesome, Chelsea. Thank you. I feel like we could we could uh, we could chat for hours about this. Maybe we'll do our our own podcast of each type or something, um, and, and keep going deep. Um, but but I really really do appreciate you. And you know this this is uh, the Mission Joy podcast of of our mm-hmm. diocese of the Episcopal Church here in Western North Carolina. And um, so our, our closing question. That, that we're asking um, is, is how does the work you do bring joy to yourself and others? Mm. Huh. I'm reminded of a song that uh, we used to sing growing up 
in church and like one of the lines of this joy I have the world didn't give it the world can't take it away and I was always like nah they can definitely take it away like when I'm bummed out <laughs> it's not here and so people often talk about the difference between joy and happiness and all those things but what I will say is that I think for me the Enneagram the Enneagram has again it's back to that breath that that there's something about the capacity of expanding your breath that you start to touch joy without even trying about it like there are ways in which I can laugh at the things that used to be denied or tear me apart about myself. Like, like there was a lot of shame when I first realized I was a two. I was like, oh my gosh, I need to be needed. Oh my, oh my, oh, this is so gross. And then I realized like, girl, you are helpful. It is beautiful. And also you are goofy. Cause really like, did you really think you could be everything everyone needed? Like, <laughs> let's laugh. So there's laughter here. There's um, possibility here. And so I think that like joy sits at the precipice of possibility. Um, and knowing that, uh, there's, there's always another step. There's another point of healing there's another invitation for you. And so, uh, and that never ends. And so I think that it can be the start of joy, if you will, um, or the uncovering of the joy that is already just like waiting to be awakened in each of us. And I think that's pretty, pretty awesome. And so I find a lot of joy in the practice. I also like, to, I'm a nerd, so there's that. But um, more importantly, I think it really is knowing, oh, thank you. That's exactly what it is. It is realizing that you've actually always been the best version of yourself. Now you're just getting to know that person. Wow, what a gift. And then you get to choose to share it as you will because consent and agency is important. So, yeah. What a gift indeed. Thank you, Chelsea. Your, Thank you for having me. Yeah, for your time, wisdom, and love. Um, you're the best. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks. Thanks.